This is Francesca Morfini, and you're listening to Femme Studios. In this podcast, I sit down with women from Toronto, artists, entrepreneurs, and leaders in their own fields who have made a mark in the city and beyond. We talk about their career and growth, how they got to where they are today, and all the little learnings they picked up along the way. Alicia Jade is a meditation instructor and founder of You Are Mindful. I met her a couple years ago and remember being so just swept away by her positive energy. I couldn't not have a smile on my face when I was around her and you'll totally hear this through her voice. I followed her journey through social media as she got accredited to be a meditation instructor and um, followed a couple of her guides and just found it to be so soothing, so grounding, and just so fucking necessary during the wake of COVID. So we sat down and she told me about you know the, the process of becoming a meditation instructor, but also what it's meant for her personal life for how she deals with mental health in the workplace um, which is one of her kind of niches and the racialized nature of accessing mental health care um, and of course the understanding of your why. Hi! Good morning! How are you? (laughs) Why don't you start like tell me like what do you do for work? Tell me about your mindful like kind of like Let's start by introducing, like, who is Alicia Jade? Yes, absolutely. So a bit about me. Yes, my name is Alicia Jade, born and raised in Toronto. I am a senior marketing manager at a tech startup based in Vancouver. I've worked in tech for many years, actually, I believe almost seven at this point or seven or eight. And um, Your Mindful is a meditation company that I started. So I'm like part-time meditation teacher, part-time influencer, full-time marketing manager. That is like a career breakdown for me. (laughs) I started teaching meditation actually this year, but I started um, getting interested in meditation many, many years ago, which I know we'll get into. And it really did change my life. And I felt that I needed to bring this specifically to women who are having the same struggles as I was like in the workplace, feeling like my mental health symptoms were exacerbated by the workplace, which is not a place that was created for women, especially Black women. So it's almost as if it was like makeshift after the industrial revolution. It's like, well, I guess you guys work well in the workplace and you can make us some money. So I stay here and we'll bend some rules. So if you get pregnant, we'll see if you get mat leave. Like it's like, it was almost just this broken system that we were thrown into. And so of course, women, we have a lot of issues with assimilating into the workplace, not for lack of trying or effort. It's literally because it sucks. So (laughs) I wanted to help women assimilate a lot better into the workplace through self-healing, through meditation, because I did that for myself. So that was one of the reasons why I really founded the company. And it's honestly taken off ever since. I posted meditations for some big and fun tech companies that I love and respect. And it's been quite the whirlwind. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And I feel like you started on this journey uh, before COVID, but it really kicked off when COVID like became this real like impactful thing in our lives. So, um, I mean, COVID is obviously a very serious pandemic, but to me, the the more important and uh, like larger pandemic that we're all facing is mental health. So I feel like it's so timely for you to be working on this. A hundred percent. It's very interesting because I fall into the category of people who during COVID were living their best lives, not necessarily because it wasn't traumatic, but because I've gone through chronic trauma. This for me was like another day. People are like, oh my God, I have to stay home. I have to do this. I'm like, oh, I do that when I'm recovering from mental health symptoms. Welcome. Welcome to the club. So it's very interesting that for myself and then a lot of other people who experience a lot of different mental health symptoms, this isn't new. Having to stay home, having to recover, feeling super sad or feeling super drained every day, that is not a new experience for me. In fact, it is my norm. So I just utilize the tools that I built for myself. And as a result, I've genuinely been thriving throughout this pandemic. And I think it's a mix of like universal things that have happened and the fact that I've just been in survival mode since I was a child. So I think that as, because 
I was talking on the phone with a friend the other day and he was like, you know, the one thing I really loved about you is your work ethic. You're willing to take any job. And I was like, I needed to eat. So <laughs> to him, it was anecdotal and, and incredible and empowering. And for me, I was like, I needed to have shelter. I needed to eat. I was a breadwinner of my family for many years. So I think that that's something that's, it's very interesting during COVID times that a lot of people who are introverted like myself, probably through circumstance, um, we're just chilling at home and we're like, oh, we have to go back to work. <laughs> so I think that that's a big thing and not to minimize what's been happening. A lot of people have been going through a very difficult time and I understand that through job loss, et cetera. But I've spent most of my years preparing for those types of things because I've already gone through them. Okay, so a little later, I think I like where we're at and I want to stick to this topic of like mental health and like how you got into meditation. Maybe a little later we can get into um, kind of your social media tips and that sort of thing. But can you walk me through a little bit of like how, like how you were started when you started realizing that you were facing these issues with mental health, like obviously you were always facing them, but when did you start to realize that this wasn't how it was supposed to be and kind of walk me through that whole experience getting into meditation? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that my mental health has really been through multiple stages. And that's really as a result of once again, another broken system where mental health is not considered to be at the same level of priority as physical health, even though it's a symbiotic relationship. And a lot of the symptoms that people experience physically are psychosomatic. They are as a result of our mind waging a war against our body and us not understanding and knowing how to manage our minds so that we can heal our bodies. So I think that that's really big. So I remember actually as a kid, I think I was maybe like 13, 14, going to my mom and being like, I need a therapist. I need to speak to someone as a child. And as a result of like stigma, cultural interpretations, et cetera, even though my mom was actually a psych major, she was like, mm, no, like we're gonna actually have us like speak to somebody at our church, like who's a counselor. I want them to be religiously informed. And that's as a result of some of the issues that had run in my family previously. So as a result that, that for me, I felt was such a blocker as a child. And so as I grew into an adult, I really kind of looked at my life. There was a point a few years ago when I was in a workplace that was exacerbating a lot of my mental health symptoms that I had not dealt with as a result of me not receiving, I believe, care at a younger age. And so I, had, I was looking at my life. I was like, okay, girl, you are crying in the bathroom at work. You're having three to four panic attacks per day. Very painful. You're dealing with misogyny you're dealing with like getting screamed at at work there were so many different things that were kind of happening that I noticed my workplace was just flaring up in me and I became such a reactive and anxious person somebody could walk up to me and literally like tap me on the shoulder it was an inside joke at work that if somebody tapped me on the shoulder I would scream because I was just so wound up tight that if somebody tapped me I'd be like oh like I, I couldn't even just oh my God. function. Yeah. So I got to a point where I was like, enough, like we're done here. Like this is enough. And I'd watch this really popular YouTuber's video. I love her. She's actually from Toronto. Her name's like Sonia Eastman and she's like a model. Yeah. And I love Sonia as well. Oh my goodness. I'm like low key obsessed. <laughs> and yeah, she mentioned great. you can heal your life. And I was like, okay, what is this book? Who is this Louise Hay person? I'd already been a little bit on like the spiritual woo-woo path for a little bit. I'd read Gabrielle Bernstein's The Universe Has Got Your Back. So I'd really started along this path. And so I read You Can Heal Your Life. And my mind was blown by the fact that Louise Hay was really just balls to the wall in the book. She was like, if your life looks a certain way, it's because of you. And that's not to minimize society. It's not to minimize different systems. It's not to minimize different forms of oppression. It's more to say that utilizing our minds and utilizing our perspective, we can switch and shift how our lives are, which is how I like manifested my cute little apartment and manifested a new <laughs> job. I really did all those things because I set myself up as a result of shifting my perspective and my worldview in spite of the things that I'd gone through. So I read that book and I was like, Damn. <laughs> okay, I guess something has to change here. And um, Louise had mentioned meditation. So I had 
attempted multiple times through the Toronto system because my workplace hadn't covered very much for mental health at the time. I was like, okay, cool. Let me try to get free resources. So when I was underemployed and then what, even when I was employed, money was too tight for me to really shell out for like $300, like an hour for a therapist. I was like, okay, great. Let me try to go to this women's center and get myself like some therapy and the counselor had canceled multiple times. Like she wasn't necessarily accountable and it was a free service. So you can't really go in their finger snapping like, girl, why didn't you show up? It's free. So it was very difficult. So there's a long lineup. Oh my gosh. Long lineup. It took me months in spite of me literally being bumped up to the top of the list because of all of the things I was going through. It took months upon months. And then when I finally got in, it was just so difficult. And you may know it's very important to shop around for therapists as well, but that was my one option. So I've really gone through a lot of that. I then went as well to a treatment center to receive like diagnoses for what I was going through, which help me put language to what I was going through. Uh, I know that a lot of people around me were like, don't label yourself, et cetera. And I was like, it's not about labels. It's about receiving informed treatment after that point. About so, understanding my condition. So important. So, so, so important. And I think a lot of people, especially in the black community are quite triggered by that, um, especially in the Caribbean black community too. So it was very important for me to receive that and really trailblaze and push through those barriers, push through those blockers to understand myself and understand what I was going through um, and not Um, just deal with it. Sorry, what do you mean uh, there's these blockers in the Black or specifically the Caribbean Black community? Is it Mm -hmm. like a relationship with mental health? Yes, 100%. So relationship to mental health and as well to, there are multiple figureheads, of course, and stereotypes of the strong Black woman, right? So as I mentioned for myself, I was the breadwinner of my household. For multiple friends of mine, it's quite common for us to have to um, assist with our family. So instead of me saving up money for school, saving up money for a living situation or for a place, I was putting money into my current home with my, my mom. So I think that there's, a lot to do there with, you know, sucking it up, dealing with the situation, because if you kind of peel back one layer, you're going to fall apart. It's sometimes the feeling. So, or even the, I dealt with this. So now you have to as well too. So there are a lot of things of just being in survival mode within the black community as a result of like, of course, police brutality, racial aggression in the workplace and beyond that we're just focused in on surviving that learning to thrive through mental health care is not something that is taught to us to do. Mm-hmm. So you, you start with meditation I did. and you'd already like played around with it a little bit. And what was your perspective of meditation at this point? Like what was your under, if someone asked you like, Oh, like, have you heard about this new thing called meditation? What was your answer? Absolutely. So it's funny enough because since I've been doing these interviews, I'm able to really go back and think about my previous experiences. And it turns out my first experience with meditation was when I was a kid, my mom had purchased these yoga VHS tapes and I loved doing that. You should see me. I was like, I don't even know, like eight in like downward dog, like just trying to do these little poses in my living room. And it was amazing. I really enjoyed it. And of course, at the end of yoga, there's Shavasana, which is then passive meditation. So technically I was meditating throughout through yoga and then into Shavasana through just laying out and feeling those feelings. And then as well, grew up in a very religious household. So I was used to praying and meditating like every day as well too. So that was a part of the process for me. So I'd already gone through meditation in the non-Westernized traditional sense. So then to move into my experiences of meditating as an adult, I remember my first experience with a meditation app Calm was when I visited my friend Rima in London and I was visiting her and her family and we were about to go to bed and Rima was like, "Uh, do you mind if I put on some like ocean sounds? I have this app called Calm and I was like, yeah, girl, it's cool. (laughs) So she put on the app and this is, I think, what, 2016 or 2015, she put on this app and we listened to ocean sounds and like went to bed and then a few years later I was on a press trip and Um, we did headspace while in Switzerland in the mountains and it was so beautiful. So I'd had like pockets of experiences throughout my entire life, but not really the formal experience of meditation. So that was what kind of led me up into taking Gabrielle Bernstein's Spirit Junkie Masterclass, which was amazing for me and a lot more of an informed experience around meditation and mindfulness. Okay. So once you actually sat down and started doing what 
kind of our, mo our modern idea of meditation is. Like, how did you go about it? You know, what was your prop? What did your practice look like? And mm -hmm. how did you start to, how did you start to see the benefits? How did it affect you? Absolutely. So I, as a result of reading Louise Hayes, you can heal your life. I started doing like some guided meditations online. I'd remembered about calm, but girl, I was not paying for that subscription price at the time. So I like went on YouTube. I saw a few guided meditations. I was like, Hey, this is cute. And I did a few and I was like, okay, th this actually feels kind of nice. So then I continued on my kind of like spiritual journey around like meditation and mindfulness. I'd read a few more spiritual self-help focused books and then just randomly, I received an email from Gabrielle Bernstein's team and they were just like, hey, like, because I think I was doing the Judgment Detox at the time, which was one of her books and I highly recommend it. And um, her team was like, we're opening up Spirit Junkie Masterclass. You can join this online course, like sign up here. It was quite pricey. And I was like, you know what? Let me just do it. I feel like I'm super called to do this. So I signed up and it's a course for people who might be business-minded, but also spiritually inclined, or those who are spiritually inclined but need to be more business-minded. It really just kind of fuses those things together to teach you how to be a spiritual business person. So I was like, all right, all right, let me just give this a go because I'm really enjoying this. And I'd found that through meditation, I'd had like less panic attacks. I was less reactive. I was um, starting to really climb out of the hole that I was in because a few months before I'd received multiple diagnoses and my family doctor was like, great. Let's put together a treatment plan. Let's get you this medication, this medication, and then as well birth control and then that thing. And then once we do this, then we'll be able to see the levels. But even with the levels, it may exacerbate your symptoms. So, and I was like, girl, I just heard yesterday what was wrong with me. I, I can't. So that made me so overwhelmed that I personally had decided to not take any medication, not because I think it's a bad idea, but I felt that it was a bad idea for me at the time because I was just so overwhelmed that I felt like, no, if I'm going to be taking meds, I want to know exactly what they are, what's happening to my body, what's going on right here, and be able to really break it down versus me kind of just throwing myself into the arms of a medical community that I, I had no trust with. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you want to get into this, but like, yeah. just because there might be people listening who have kind of have had a similar experience to you like what were the the conditions that you were trying I don't know if you want to talk about this but what were the conditions that you were trying to treat and <laughs> why did you feel like you were obviously overwhelmed but did you just feel like you were like not in control of your body or yeah of course so I still need to get second opinion so I don't want to share just yet in terms of what okay, the diagnosis no that's okay. But I will say that I was prescribed like very, very intense medications. And once my doctor was like, okay, with this medication too, there's no chance that you could ever get pregnant while you're on this because of how intense it is. And I was like, so what is it doing to my body if I can't even house a fetus? Like, what, what do you even mean? And at the time I was celibate too. So I was like, girl, it's no problem. <laughs> but <laughs> I was like, we're perfectly fine. But it's like, is it's like, if it is impeding like a basic function of my body, then like how, what's Absolutely. the, what's the long-term effect of this? hundred okay. percent. And I was just trying to get through day by day. So for me to then be like, okay, cool. I'm going to add medication into into this for a lot of people i think medication is extremely important because it brings them to the place where they're able to see the world as it is and objectively and then they can work through informed treatments of either weaning or maintaining their levels but finding a better medication for them or something that's a little bit less intense for me i did not see that horizon i could barely even see the next day so i felt that it was just not going to be the right solution for me. And every time I went into that office, office she'd be like, so what are we doing? And I'm like, like not am I, am I doing the prescription? Like, are you ready? And you're like, Oh no. my gosh. Yeah. Literally. I feel like we're talking about something else today. Thank you. <laughs> it was just not, it was just not for me at the time. And I'm actually quite grateful that that was my choice in the moment because I'd really then decided to lean into meditation and lean into mindfulness. And I always will say this as a disclaimer, this is not for everyone. This is not something where you're kind of sitting there and not confronting yourself. The whole point of meditation is to hold a mirror up to yourself and look at 
all of the ugly, look at your shadow, look at the brightness of yourself and, you know, self-love, et cetera. But it's actually more about neutrality. There's that idea of body neutrality, which I love. It's not saying I am this angel winged goddess who drips like gold from my nether regions. Like it's, it's not this level of toxic positivity of not seeing yourself for who you are. Meditation holds up a mirror and says, this is who you are. Are you ready to face this? And I had to get to a place where I was able to do that. And then through that, I was able to really work through my mental health symptoms and mitigate them. Like I promise you, it's been a, a while since I've had daily panic attacks. Like I don't get like as crying jabby as before. I'm not as wound up as tight. I'm less reactive. And that's just as a result for me of my meditation practice. And I loved it. And did you, like, are you combining this with medication or are you still rejecting the medication? Still So not you were completely me. able to yeah. self-heal. That's 100%, yes. And I'm still on a journey at this point. Like I am, um, as a result of like, previous and past traumas, I am going to work through getting EDMR and working closely with a great therapist. But there is that process of shopping, especially as a black woman for a great therapist. And most therapists are not black and they're not women. So it takes a lot of digging. So if I'm choosing to then not go with a black woman therapist, I then have to go with a therapist who will not invalidate my experiences with racial injustice and as well misogynoir. So for me to really go through that process, it, it it's still taking me time to find the right person. And I've got, done great consultations and phone calls. I've made notes. True Capricorn over here. So <laughs> it really was a great experience. No, but like it's, you know, you shop around for a doctor. Why wouldn't you shop around for a therapist? It's it's Absolutely. so important, especially when, you know, a doctor can prescribe you a bunch of meds, but a therapist is like, in in a sense, the medication. So, you wanna you wanna make sure you're you're informed in your decision, of course. A hundred percent, yeah. Um, I like that you brought up toxic positivity, because, I, like I realized a couple months ago or maybe a year ago that I practice toxic positivity with my friends and with myself. And once I, once it clicked, I was like, wow, like that is awful. That is like so ineffective. So can you, can you like walk me through that and, and kind of like explain the difference between toxic positivity and kind of like the best practice? A hundred percent. So when it comes to toxic positivity, Ooh, man, my experience around that was very interesting because I felt that the solution for me, um, and this is like mini content warning as well too, I'd gone through some bouts of like disordered eating. So I thought that the solution for me when it came to disordered eating was to flip to the other side, eat what you want, girl, do what you want, be empowered, eat the cheeseburger. And those are great messages to send. Trust me, especially living in a society where we are just fed this idea that we have to only eat processed foods that are like handed to us. I get it. But <laughs> there comes a point and there comes a place where that just, it doesn't work. It's not the real world to sit and to like fabricate rolls on your body and take a picture of it on Instagram or paint your stretch marks, which are all very beautiful and incredible responses. I personally feel that they are banded solutions. The real solution to me is to dismantle a system that makes us feel that we have to pretend that these things are, are quote unquote beautiful. They're just a part of our bodies. They don't have to be something that we say is gorgeous. Girl, I wear like high-waisted pants because I don't necessarily feel comfortable having like a muffin top just chilling on like my thighs. Like, and that's okay. It's a mix of like fashion and style silhouetting and the fact that I loved fashion that I want to like maintain a certain silhouette, but it's not because I'm like society is telling me that I need this. And so thus bring out the muffin top. <laughs> that's just for me not comfortable and it's just yeah. not an experience that I personally want to have but then there's that kind of reverse experience where people are like well then that means you don't love yourself and it's like nope that doesn't mean that I don't love myself it just means that I want to look a certain way feel a certain way in my body and in my clothing and I, I don't think that there's a problem with that but that is where that kind of toxic positivity comes in so when it comes to body neutrality um, as I mentioned before, the book, The Judgment Detox is really great from Gabrielle Bernstein. It's 
very short, but it took me two years to read that book. It literally is like this big. It took me two years to read that book because of all the homework in it. There's like activities and things you have to do to let go and release that sense of self-judgment because the idea that these parts of our bodies are ugly is as a result of judgment. We have this lens that we wear every single day where we're judging things through a filter of how we were raised, the society that we live in, et cetera. So it's really about taking off those glasses and then seeing things as they are. So I see my body as it is. And there are times I'm like, you know what? Hey, let's go for an extra walk today or let's do this. Not to look a certain way, but to feel a certain way. And then once I feel a certain way, sometimes I look a certain way, sometimes I don't. Understanding and knowing that, for instance, weight isn't just manage through what you eat or how much you exercise but the environment that you're in girl i went to china for a month and i literally came back three pounds not because i didn't eat i ate way more there but my body just reacted to the environment so differently and so that was i think a really big like wake up bell for me to be like oh i shouldn't be shamed by corporations to spend thousands of dollars to go to a boot camp where somebody's gonna scream in my face and say you're beautiful while i'm sweating and dying in the class (laughs) you are no thank you that's the thing like i i've really come to terms with this concept of like you know you were saying uh, you know we feel like our our body looks uh i don't know what the word you use but like our body doesn't look good and it's like it's not about whether it looks good or it doesn't look good it's just about choosing that it doesn't need to be either of those two things that it can just be and like not not have to sit in either like spectrum Exactly. Like, I think that's a big thing. I spoke about this on my Instagram stories because I love doing this self-discovery series. And what I talked about was the fact that we don't have to have a purpose in life. Like we can just exist, right? We live in a capitalistic society that tells us that you have to have a purpose in life, but ultimately telling us that we have to have a purpose in life tells us that we need to labor our entire lives. That's actually what we're being told. Like we got to really break these things down. So in telling us we need to labor our whole lives, Great. That means we have a functioning workforce who feels like something is missing and that it'll be filled by having a high salary and paying high taxes. Great. Good on you. So I think that in breaking that down and understanding that you can be born, you can die, and the impact that you have on just yourself is enough. You don't have to even impact your friends and your family, the society, your neighborhood, your community. You don't have to be this champion hero hero who like fundraises $12 million for like poor kids across the world. I think that there's so much to do to really understand the root causes of these things. And in fact, just inform ourselves, I think is the best place to really start in because those things are great impacting your community, starting a charity, et cetera. But when you really break down where those things are coming from and why we feel the need to do those things or why charities are needed in the first place, then you really start to see the world in a very, very different way. And neutrality is often one of the best places to come from and non-judgment as well. Yeah, it's like, what is your true, true, true intention with this? And I guess like you said, something like meditation can help you hold up a mirror in front of you and be able to answer that question without coming up with like the, the superficial reason that we're telling ourselves and the people around us. A hundred percent. Like for me, I, I read the book, How to Ikigai, and it, it taught me about my personal purpose, which I loved. And even though I am pursuing that, I don't feel this deep pressure to do it before I die. Like, it's not like you have to do all these things before you die. And it's just, I think we all need to really let go of this pressure of of taking on the world onto our shoulders. The world will still be there even when we pass away. So I think that that's something to really understand. Yeah, like a lot of the pressure that exists in our lives is because of, it, it, there's two things that you, you've talked about um, during this conversation. Um, the first is like, like you just said, we put this pressure on ourselves, but also whatever, um, let's call them imbalances are present in our life. They are because of us. Like, of course, there are a number of external factors that we don't have control over, but what we can't control is like how we react to them. And um, yeah, like I like this idea of being the architect of your own life because it can be really, uh, I think, overwhelming, but also empowering to like take ownership. Um, But anyway, beyond this like mini rant of mine. Um, 
can you can you tell me a bit more about like the physical like what actually do you do when you meditate because a lot of people don't have a true understanding of it and they might be skeptical getting into it or even like i know that for me it took me like maybe three or four years to really start understanding and appreciating meditation um because i would be like okay like i'm gonna do it every morning for 10 minutes and then like three days into it, I'd be like, uh, I don't want to do this morning. I'll do it later today. And then it becomes this like chore and this thing that you have to do. And you're like, oh yeah. Like all of a sudden it's like, you haven't meditated in three months and it's like, Ugh. so can you walk me through that as like the expert on the topic? Yes. A hundred percent. There are so many different factors when it comes to meditation. And I even literally run a course on this because it's just so deep. And I, I love it. The topic so much because I was that person. I was like, yeah, girl, meditate every day and slay the dragons. Like I literally was <laughs> at, like, hashtag meditated. Like I was that person for so long, but there was no real depth to it, right? For me at least. So the first thing when it comes to approaching meditation is understanding your why. So funny enough, while I was um, doing Spirit Junkie Masterclass and as well, I started taking one of my certifications at the University of Toronto, I took a meditation break. I stopped meditating for, I think, a month or a month and a half. I did that like on purpose. Intentionally? Okay. okay intentionally. Yes. Yes. Because I felt that meditation was becoming that chore, as you said before. And it, it, for me, it just felt like I was just doing it for doing its sake. So I was like, okay, let's stop. Let's, let's see what happens when I stop. And so when I did, some of my symptoms, I come back. I found that I was more reactive. I found that I was more jumpy. I found that um, I wasn't sleeping well and I wasn't waking up at the same time every single day because my body just would naturally wake up at like 6 or 5.30 every morning when I meditated accordingly the day before. So I found that there were all of these amazing benefits for me as a result of meditating. And I just took mental notes of those benefits. And it's not to say that meditation has to have a goal. That's, that's also a whole other thing, which I'll talk about in a second, but I really found my why as a result, I was like, meditation gives me the balance that I'm looking for in my mental health and in my day to day. And it assists me in being able to function the way that my life is set up at this point. Great. Amazing. Now I have that why that pushes me to meditate every single day to make sure that I do this thing so that I can make it through the day, the week, the month, etc. So the number one thing is to find your why and finding your why sometimes takes just trying different meditations. That's another thing is do research on meditation because it's not just sitting there with like your eyes closed, legs crossed, face up to the sky. Like that's not the only form of meditation. And that's something that's sold to us in Western societies, which is why I love that I did my third certification in India. So I went to Arambal in Goa and I became a dynamic meditation teacher. I'm certified. And in dynamic meditation, we learned that like, like you can dance and meditate, you can hum and meditate, you can chant and meditate, you can um, sleep and meditate, you can do guided meditations, or you can do unguided meditations. Like I knew this in the back of my mind because I understood that yoga was a form of meditation, but I didn't understand that there's active and passive meditations. You can run and meditate. Like meditation is so many things, coloring, painting, etc. So I think that doing deep research Finding your why, doing deep research is a big thing, and then figuring out what meditation works best for you. So for me personally, I do a mix. I don't do the same meditations every single day. Sometimes I do a guided 10-minute meditation through Calm. Other times I'll put on Kirtan, which is like a spiritual song, and I will dance around to that because dancing is a form of meditation. Other days I'll chant or I'll hum if I feel that I can't really focus in on a guided meditation at the time. So really switching it up, but there comes in that point of non-judgment as well too and understanding that meditation is not a competition that is not what the ancient tradition was all about right now scientists are trying to pluck apart and break down meditation through this western lens of research and numbers and scans that's not how it works <laughs> qualitative research versus quantitative research is actually what would be best here receiving personal testimony which a lot of people do not consider to be viable scientific information which is on fortunate. Um, it's probably the best way to and best lens to understand meditation. So as you do your research, try to not just look at um, deep studies from like Harvard or business review or anything like that. Instead, go a bit deeper into ancient texts, 
ancient traditions. Um, and also the next part that I have to say is respecting the practice. So trying your best to maybe learn from a teacher who has done many years of research. My personal guru, his name is Shiva and as well Vipul, they were both my teachers when I was in India and we keep in touch like via WhatsApp, we talk, I have spoken to them about different courses I wanted to run, etc. So really finding a great meditation for yourself and also finding a teacher who is respectful of the practice, I'd say is the next thing. So somebody who understands that the practice is a lot more than Lululemon and a lot more than yoga blocks that are super cute but instead, it is an ancient tradition that has been passed on through generation to generation, and there are many different types in different cultures. So um, I'd say that those are like my top tips for really getting into meditation and really understanding that it's more than sitting and quieting the mind, because there's actually a quote from an ancient teacher who says, uh, no, you're not actually supposed to quiet your mind every single day, because then it'll be empty. So there's a lot of ways to really understand and interpret meditation, but try to do it beyond the Western lens. So there's all these different types of meditation, but what is the one consistent thing along all of these types that make that ensure that they all fall under the definition of meditation? There is such a gray zone now at this point as a result of like the Westernization of meditation and mindfulness, et cetera. So I think that also understanding that we live in a society that is co-opted this is is still true to understand but i think that following different um, meditation teachers and yoga teachers on instagram looking at whether or not and this isn't a place of judgment from a place of judgment this is just a fact whether their practice is focused in on cute poses and like skinny angles or if they're genuinely trying to talk about healing your inner child or talking about spiritual healing or spiritual awakening or whatever that looks like for you so i think that finding a teacher who's really respectful of the practice is i'd say number one number one because um oftentimes people will do like a weekend retreat and be like okay cool i'm certified i'm ready to go like there is no real regulatory body when it comes to meditation at this point so i think um it is very important to see what your teacher's been certified in where they have studied where they've practiced and what their own personal practice is is i'd say the number one thing to really dive into because self-taught meditation is great and that's where i started from but there's a real cap and a real limit to that point in that place and understanding of course that it is a privilege to pay for it so i still do recommend maybe hopping on youtube or even just instagram there are a lot of free resources on there if it is available to people to do so if they have a smartphone if they have internet then they can hop on and do that for themselves when you look at um, dancing while you're meditating, when you look at like sitting and meditating, uh, when you look at like uh, running and meditating, what is the the common thread and what you're doing and all those different types of meditation Mm, that, yeah. yeah. The common thread is getting back in touch with myself. That I would say is the number one thing. So if getting back in touch with myself, depending on the day, because every day is different, right? So if getting back in touch with myself just means me plopping down and sitting on my sofa, closing my eyes and listening to ocean waves, beautiful, amazing, love that. If getting back in touch with myself means literally dancing like naked in my kitchen in like a fever dream and like putting on some really loud music, great, amazing, love that for me. If it means me going for a walk and listening to a book or if it means me going for a hike and listening to nature sound it's really about centering myself and bringing myself to a point where i'm able to focus on the here and the now it's really about bringing myself home i think is the the main key and the main factor and bringing yourself home comes from it, it can come in many different ways and that's why i hosted the 30 days of meditation to show people that there are so many different types of meditations you can do and you can practice and you can experience. Sometimes it just means laying out and breathing. Other times it means listening to the sound of my voice and following different instructions or visualizations. So, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like the common thread is that you're not focusing on the past or the future. You're more just present in the moment. Absolutely. With no judgment as well. Okay, let's go back to your more like conventional career for a second um as you but kind of overlap a little bit so as you get as you're like working full-time now and also managing so many different things what are the tools that you're tapping into to keep yourself in check even though you're not on medication Mm -hmm, absolutely 
Um, number one thing for sure is that non-judgment piece. So through reading the judgment detox and as well, me practicing that idea of neutrality and impermanence as well, I should have mentioned. So understanding that things will never remain exactly as they are relationships, um, loved items, for instance, things fade, things break, things change. You have to just go with the flow instead of resisting it. So understanding non-judgment and impermanence really assists me in that because there are days when I just, I'm just not there. Like I literally am just like, nope, like we are not here today. For instance, this week was very difficult for me because I'd heard some news about a friend of mine who passed away years ago. So I had to really look at myself and be like, you're not okay. Like you are not okay right now. But because I came from a place of non-judgment of me saying, me not thinking you are superwoman, girl, you are everything. Like you can do it all. No, I can't. Toxic I'm one positivity. Person. Yes. <laughs> right. In letting that go, I then didn't shuffle my emotions to the side and put them in a closet and shove them away. Technically, when we do that, they don't go anywhere. They just live in like a slow burn purgatory and burst up in moments we don't expect. So there were certain moments this week when I did have to kind of like put it away for a second and then kind of come back to things. But I instead structure my day so that I have multiple levels of tasks. Some tasks are blinders on, zeroed in, no meetings, etc. I schedule my day so that the beginning of my day is open for meetings. The end of my day is not. I am an introvert, so I, I can't be in meetings all day. So I structure my day. I ensure that I understand from a place of non-judgment and not forcing myself to be more extroverted. I say, this is how you are. This is who you are. Let's build a day around this. I then have different levels of tasks, some tasks that are hyper-focused, some tasks that I can do while like watching a YouTube video. I really just allow myself that space to work in a way that works best for me, which is why I don't want to physically go back to an office. Because if somebody's sitting there watching me schedule things while I'm watching a makeup tutorial, it's like, shh, it's okay. Don't mind me. <laughs> you know? Uh, it's so, like, are you working? You're like, like, yes, no. this is how I work. Literally it is. It's like, I need to watch Jackie Ina while I schedule these things. Leave me alone. So I think that it's really. I love that you're like such absolutely. an internet kid. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. That's why I love working in social media because I truly am obsessed with it. So um, I think that those are the ways I really do it. I understand myself without any judgment. And then I build my days around how I'm feeling that way. So as a result, I'm able to really juggle things. Um, and then I'm also hyper-organized. That leans into everything too. I have a coworker who's like, oh my God, you have like tasks for your tasks and you're so organized, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, because otherwise I will be like a butterfly flying through the fields and the meadows because I, that's how I naturally am. I'm like, I think I was just meant to live out and have people feed me grapes. Like that is my default setting. I don't know who I was in a past life, but she was bougie. So I, that's just me. So me having to work now, I'm like, uh, what is this? Like what is happening here? So I have to just structure my day so that I'm okay with the fact that I'm not living my best life in like an Italian villa right now. <laughs> oh my God. I know. I like, I took some time where I was still freelancing, but at a way lower capacity. Like it was like very part-time basis. And um, it was while I was in Europe and I was like, ah, I used to work so many hours. Like I remember working until like 11 PM, like regular basis, be super into it. Like love it. And I was like, ah, I wonder if I'll be able to go back to that. Like, I don't, I don't know. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know if I've answered that question, but it's, it's funny how we like go through these different phases and it's just, it's like you said, it's important to be, um, to tap into what you need right now. Yep. Always. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's like the, the key thing for myself is understanding my needs. And that's why I went through a path of self-discovery. I really should have mentioned that before I've done like so many personality tests, you would think that there's something wrong. Like I've done my disc test. I've done recently like Emergenetics, I believe it's called. I've done my like 16 personalities. I've done human design, astrology, like astrocartography. I've done all of these different things to understand me. I just needed to understand myself so that I wouldn't think, okay, Lace, you're Carrie Bradshaw and you can live your best life and like fall in love with a guy who will ignore you. And like, do all the I'm like, no, I have a fearful avoidant attract, like, um, attachment style. If I ever fell in love with Mr. Big, I'd probably like 
want to die every single day. So it's like understanding things like that allows me to set up and create a life that accommodates me. And I feel way better. Of course, of course. Okay, so with all this being said, what advice do you wish you could give yourself when you first started working? I think the best advice I could have given myself is to follow my gut. And I'm grateful that I did because as unrefined as my gut was when it came to dating, it was great for work. <laughs> so I could see a Guess bad you win some, you lose some, right? <laughs> oh, that's a whole other conversation. But <laughs> definitely when it came to work stuff, I think that it was like, follow your gut. It's like the big thing. Like I was a little bit of a little rebel when it came to my career. I remember that I wanted to intern for this modeling agency and my family members were just so against it. They were like abhorrent. Like they literally were just like, absolutely not. They're going to like take naked photos of you. They're going to do this thing. And I was like, no, I'm literally an intern. I'm getting people coffee. Like, let me do this. And I just did it. I was like, you know what? Nope. I'm going to go. I'm going to do this. And I was like in my early teens or sorry, not early, late teens. And so I pushed through, I did that job. And through that, it led me to working actually at a magazine, like a defunct magazine based in Yorkville. But then through that work, it led me to starting a travel, like a blog with like a little fashion blog with a girl who I worked with there and then eventually I started my travel blog and then through that travel blog I've had all of these incredible opportunities so it's like if I had not taken that internship position I don't think that I would be where I am today truly because it gave me a lot of grit it gave me a lot of opportunity but it opened so many doors for me to understand what it was like in the news and press industry from a different perspective than I'd known before so I think that go with my gut or continue to go with my gut is like numero uno so would you say that that was the one thing you did that without it you wouldn't have been able to be where you are today that specific position or going with my gut no going with your gut oh a hundred percent that is like uh, yeah. like an overarching theme. hundred percent. Absolutely. I'm naturally a very intuitive person. Um, even if I ignore the red flags in certain situations, I'm pretty good at like acknowledging and noticing them. Um, and then just being like, you know, that DW like meme where it's like, I can't read. So this sign doesn't mean anything to me. Like sometimes I'm like that. Absolutely. But in general, I really do see and understand the signs and I just weigh out like the good and the bad. And then I pursue whatever thing, but my gut will scream, like literally yell at me to do certain things. And I've just learned to be intuitive and go along with it and follow along with what it has to say through an analytical lens, of course, and doing research to just reassure myself. But in general, my gut's usually hundred percent right. Um, so then when you, when you look at the Alicia, that was, you know, I can't believe people were made a joke out of you, like being so wound up and like tap anyway that's like a whole other issue but rough what do you think that Alicia needed to hear I think she just needed to hear it would be okay because I, I do believe that um even though I'd gone through literally hell on earth during that time I think that it was important for me to have experienced that not because of like trauma porn like not because it's like I've been through all these things like this is it's made me who I am today but like it truly gave me the framework to be able to approach others who I'm working with now from a deeper place of understanding, I think is the most important thing is I now inform myself through education, through books and through research, but having gone through a lot of the things I've gone through, I find that it gives me way more space to hold other people and hold my clients versus other people who I may speak to who are like, oh no, that person will just get over it or blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, actually people's brains are hardwired to see certain situations um, as they are, there is no just get out, get over it. There literally is no way to get over something when your brain is telling you something else. So we think that I'm able to really hold space for people in such a different way. So it, it's more like a, you'll be okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so I know you're a Vancouver girl now. We've hey. lost you to the big out west. You're out west now. Um, yeah. and like, fuck, honestly, I'm so jealous. Like, girl, it's so cute here. Oh my god, people are friendly. What is that? Who is she? What? Yeah, oh people god. say hi on the sidewalks. I'm like, 
Uh, <laughs> what? Hello? What do I? What do you taking you some time to like climatize yourself to oh this? My, nice literally, sense. I'm like, am I supposed to greet you or something? I'm scared. Mom, pick me up. I'm scared. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Um, but I guess like going back to like tying it back to Toronto because everyone I'm speaking to is originally from there. What are the, what are the spots that you miss the most about Toronto? Oh, oh my goodness. Okay. Um, my like favorite brunch spot, which was, oh my God, White Lily Diner, um, by Broadview and Queen. Well, it's more closer to like Broadview and another side street. Dear Lord, that place was like my jam. They played like the best music and um, it was like Motown and they have the best hash browns and oh, the pancakes are so fluffy. So I really loved going there because it was just like local neighborhood, very small. Um, and you'd have the same servers, like everybody there was just very sweet. So I loved that community feel that I really got there. Um, and I also miss going to like Broadview Park and having that beautiful view of the city. It's probably to me the best view of the city, that lookout point ah. at like Broadview and Girard area. You just walk north and oh, so pretty. It was like a 10 minute walk away from me. So I really actually, that. I've never been there. So I'm going to have to check it out. Highly recommend. I will send you the Google pin because it's like best kept secret. Cause everybody's like, let's go to Trinity. I'm like, oh, I'm good. Thanks. No. Like, <laughs> um okay do you have one more spot that you're that you're gonna miss in toronto oh yes 100 percent. so not woodbine beach but a little bit further east of woodbine beach i had like a little lookout point that i would bike to so i feel like i'd really miss the dawn valley trail for sure but i used to actually bike down the dawn valley trail to the beaches and there's just one spot that's like pretty east of woodbine beach and i would just go and sit and meditate or like bring a book or bring a blanket or something loved that little spot over there so i'd say that those that's like my top my top three <laughs> love that well thank you this was great i know we we said we were going to get into a social media strategy but i feel like i love that we focused on mental health and i really want that to be the like focus and takeaway it's such an important conversation like i said i think it's the the much larger pandemic around us and then um i guess like if people want to find you where can they find you like on Instagram? Yes, they can find me on Instagram at any point. My handle is just Elisha Jade, E-L-A-I-S-H-A-J-A-D-E. And they can see literally me starting my life over here in Vancouver and me kind of posting a little bit about that. But as well, people are free to DM me at any point um, to just ask me questions, especially about meditation and mindfulness and mental health stuff. I will always point people in the correct direction. And I absolutely will say too, if anybody was like, triggered at all during this podcast or feeling like a little bit weird, they can always Google the name of their city and mental health resources. It's just hopefully a lot more accessible now as a result of COVID. I feel that a lot of different cities and provinces are, are understanding at this point that mental health is health, like bottom line. So I think that people can reach out to me at any point on Instagram. I'm always there. And as well, girl, I'm trying to step up my YouTube game so they can check out my YouTube too and just look for my name. Okay. Thanks, Alicia. I'll talk to you soon. Talk soon, my love. Bye. Bye.